That's um, good. Because you could discover something about your audience right there that nobody was listening. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 90% of content is never, never, yeah. never listened to, including this. <laughs> Welcome to episode 22 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly dose of marketing street knowledge. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 7th of August. I'm very glad you're here. I hope you've had a good week, that you are staying safe, well and as sane as you feel you need to be. It's a beautiful day here as we look out from the Rockstar CMO penthouse in London, and I hope it's the same wherever you're listening from. I'm sticking to the usual set list. I'll dip into the virtual page Rockstar CMO and suggest something that rocks from our wonderful contributing community. As promised last week, I'm chatting to Dr. Christine Bailey, CMO of Valita. Yes, we have a doctor in the house as Christine has a doctorate in customer insight and is soon to be a published author. We talk about the book that I've had the privilege to get an early peek at, her career and the work that went into getting that doctorate. And again, we wind down the week with a cocktail and some smart conversation with my friend Robert Rose in the virtual rockstar CMO bar. Let's get started, shall we? Whilst this podcast is weekly, we call Rockstar CMO a monthly dose of marketing street knowledge because A, we publish on the web and to our newsletter monthly, and B, we call it street knowledge because we like to capture the authentic voices and experiences of real live marketers, avoiding all the listicles, trends and fluff that you might find elsewhere. An excellent example of this is the backstage interview we did with Oliver Pilgerstorfer, CMO of IFS, a huge enterprise software solution company. I've talked about our regular backstage series on here before, where we interview a marketing leader with questions that are designed to give us insight into them as marketers, their careers, and we encourage them to have a bit of fun along the way. One of the questions I ask is who or what are their marketing influencers? And Oliver's reply is fantastic, as he talks about Kotler's four Ps. Philip Kotler is considered the father of modern marketing, and back in 1960, coined the four Ps, product, price, place, and promotion, a concept that continues to be relevant and discussed today. Perfectly decent answer, if not particularly rock star. However, Oliver shared his lesson in the four Ps through a wonderful story of selling cigarettes when he was at school, how each P was important to this young and, well, slightly illegal entrepreneur in making sales, avoiding excessive stock and detention. It's a super interview, one of the most popular we've published, and I'm hoping to get Oliver on the podcast in a couple of weeks. You can read more stories like this in our backstage series at rockstarcmo.com forward slash backstage, or go to the homepage and click on the appropriate link. And of course, I will include a link to this interview in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. And if you have a marketing story to tell or want to nominate your Rockstar CMO for a chat with us, get in touch. Again, there's a link on our homepage. Right, on to the interview as we transition from one Rockstar CMO to another. 
Dr. Christine Bailey is CMO and Managing Director, SMB UK and Ireland for Valata, an international payment solutions company. Based in the UK, she has extensive experience in BT marketing, in technology and payments, including leading European marketing functions for Hewlett Packard and Cisco Systems, as well as some smaller companies. A respected thought leader and motivational speaker with a TEDx talk, Unconventional Career Advice, which I personally suggest you check out. She has been voted number one woman in tech by B2B Marketing and number three female influencer in UK B2B Marketing by Onalytica. She has a doctorate DBA in Customer Insight from Cranfield School of Management and serves on several advisory boards. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Christine, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Now, you're a regular contributor to our little uh, publication. I really enjoy your uh, contribution, particularly in the green room. But for people that don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, well, Christine Bailey. Um, I've been in marketing in the technology world and the last three years in the payments world, well, basically all my career. So um, I think once you get beyond 25, you say 25 plus, don't you? So 25 plus (laughs) years. um, I started out um, always being passionate about marketing. And I started out my career in Germany, actually. I did a degree in German and business studies. So I started working for Hewlett Packard in Germany in their European Marketing Centre doing uh, public relations. And then I've I've worked at various companies, big and small, uh, back in the UK since then, always in international roles uh, or UK roles. And I did work for eight years for Cisco, running their EMEA marketing function. I've had uh, a couple of periods where I've worked for myself. Um, When I was doing my doctorate in Customer Insight, I was... Uh, you know, doing consultancy gigs uh, to pay bills mm-hmm. while I was doing my doctorate, also done some academic work. And for the last three years, I joined as chief marketing officer of Valator, which is an international payment solutions company headquartered in Iceland. And in March this year, so right before COVID lockdown, I also took on the role of managing director of the UK uh, business of Valator, which serves small and medium sized businesses. So that's yeah. kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> that's amazing. And um, I mean, we chat every month about the, the next publication, if you can help out. And I know you're probably one of the busiest marketers that I know. You're always doing something and getting additional roles. And I think that's, that's fantastic. So the start of your career, what, what got you into marketing in the first place? Um, do you know what? I think right from university when I was, I did a degree in German and business studies. So that was like half a German degree and half a management science degree. And the mm-hmm. the pieces of management science I did were, were mostly marketing and economics based. And right from that moment when I took marketing classes at university, I thought this is what I want to do. Oh, excellent. Um, but it, it's funny, I did want you to, uh, if those of viewers who are old enough to remember the milk round where you went to a, it was like a careers fair and you went round the stalls mm-hmm. and, and I went yeah. to the Mars stand because I thought, you know, when you think you want to do marketing, you think yeah. fast moving consumer goods, that's you know yeah. that's the place to be. And I said to him, I really want to come into marketing and I really want to go and work in Germany. And he said to me, oh, no, you can't do that. I was like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. He said, well, first you have to earn your stripes in the UK. You know, if you do really well and there's an opportunity, then maybe perhaps you'll get to go and work in Germany. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's not, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And in actual fact, I did a, a year abroad in Germany as part of my degree and I made contacts there um, at yeah. Hewlett Packard. 
and I graduated on the Friday and started work at Hewlett Packard on the Monday. So uh, um, that was that's I didn't plan to go into technology, um, mm-hmm. but as soon as I was there, I've never left it. Yeah, yeah. And financial technology where you are now is such a hot space. I mean, we've had a couple of interviews with people in fintech, and it's mm-hmm. it's an exciting place to be right now, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Recently, um, one of the things that I noticed recently is that you gave a um, a presentation at a virtual event, B2B Ignite. Um, how was that? I mean, we've now all gone virtual. Sorry, I should have actually asked, and I had to ask, and we're, we're kind of coming to the end of lockdown. How's that worked out for you as a marketing leader? Is that with, with working with your team? I mean, you're, you're a geographically spread organization anyway, but how, how's that worked for you? Do you know what? It's worked out far better than I thought it might. Um, mm-hmm coming from the technology world and working for companies like Cisco, I am completely used to remote working and I've mm-hmm. always been in, inter- in an international environment. So I'm used to not having yeah. my team sitting next to me. Yeah. So for me, it was just a natural transition to start, yeah. you know, to work remotely, but yeah. for the people in the team, it was a bit of a shock. So, yeah. uh, and you know, not everybody is lucky as, as lucky as me I've got a fantastic workspace at home I'm in my old cabin uh, in in the garden yeah but not everybody has that workspace so you have to learn to and and managers have to learn new skills about how to manage in a virtual environment people have to get used to doing things differently we've uh, we make enormous use of Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. You know, you have we we have a lot of Teams meetings, and to start with, I was checking in with my managers every single day, just yeah. to yeah. you know get the sense check, see how everyone was feeling. Yeah. Now we do it twice a week uh, yeah. because this is this has become the new normal, and I don't think we'll yeah. we're ever going to go back to doing things the way that we did before. Yeah, I th- I, I mean, I, I've blogged about this at the kind of beginning of this thing. I think that's absolutely true. I think um, virtual, well, probably a hybrid of office and virtual is probably yeah. the way way to go. And it feels so it feels so natural. And, and I'm glad that sort of HR policies and IT people have had to catch up through this and give their their employees that opportunity because I think we've enjoyed it, right? In our, in our roles, yeah. we've we've enjoyed that. So I think that's great. So talking about virtual, and I'll go back to the question I was asking uh, just before this. Um, you presented at B two B Ignite, which was a virtual event held recently. Um, how was that for you as a presenter? Um, being involved in a virtual event, what would you say about that? I think the the preparation was different for me. I was very conscious that when you're giving a keynote obviously you have to rehearse mm-hmm. but you when you're on stage you feed off the energy in the room and, mm-hmm. and look into people's eyes and you can yeah. make that connection you can make it personal yeah and I was very conscious that I couldn't get that personal connection with people by doing it virtually yeah so I rehearsed probably even more than I normally would because I wanted to be looking into the camera yeah. I thought yeah. I can't see people but they can see me and I want yeah. to at least give them the feeling that I'm talking to them directly. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not looking at my notes. I'm talking directly into the camera just as I would you know, yeah. on stage. Because some people say, oh, virtual, that's easy. You can just look at your yeah, yeah. notes in front of you. Yeah. I said, no, you know, you, I need to be looking into the camera. Yeah. And also I think everything has to be exaggerated. You have to exaggerate emotions and, and emphasis yeah. when you're on stage. But I think you even have to, you have to do that even more. And you have to think about how you're going to engage people in a different way because there is a chat window so i was mm-hmm. asking people questions and and kind of yeah. in on them and making sure they that they felt it wasn't just a broadcast i was mm-hmm. you know made a conscious effort to try and engage with the audience but of course mm-hmm. all the plus sides is 
you don't have to travel. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do it from your desk. So mm-hmm. lots, lots of pluses as well. Mm-hmm. I, and the challenge I have, and I've always had this throughout my career of presenting webinars, um, is you do miss that direct reading the room kind of feedback about how fast you should be going, how, whether a joke has worked, and, say, you know, all that I, stuff. You know, it's the, it's my own jokes in case. <laughs> I, I do that anyway. So, um, yeah. yeah, good. But yeah, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing you miss, isn't it, when you're talking virtually? Um, but to the topic that you were talking about, I thought the topic you spoke about was really interesting. You talked about data enhancing storytelling. Now, I'm a huge fan of content marketing. And, you know, um, we hang out with Robert Rose, one of the kings of content mm-hmm. marketing my opinion on rockstar cmo um what would um what did you mean by that what were you talking about about data and storytelling well as you know data and insights are a passion of mine that's what i did mm-hmm. my doctorate in but data and insights alone are not enough that's mm-hmm. not what moves people if you're a game of thrones fan which i am massive <laughs> game of thrones fan and Tyrion yeah. lannister in the near the end near the finale he asks a rhetorical question you know what moves people Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he answers. Uh, you know it's oh gosh, I'm going to see my exact quote. Yes, he says there's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing yeah. can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. Yeah. And, and and the other quote I love is from Philip Pullman. You know the famous author, and he says yeah. after nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. Yeah, so good coming up with this idea that we know we need to tell stories, but we also need to have some facts and figures. And people Mm -hmm. tend to default to influencing by facts and figures, Mm -hmm. although people don't remember them. Yeah. You know, when I was presenting, I gave a stat that uh, when I was talking about how much data we have in in uh, in today's world, you know, the, the infographic from Domo, data yeah. sleeps, just how yeah. much goes on in every minute online with data. Yeah. But 83% of marketers feel data blind because they're overwhelmed mm. by the sheer volume of data. Mm. So later on in the presentation, I said, um, you know, data alone is just a fact. We don't remember it. You know, yeah. and I said, write down in the chat window, what percentage yeah. of marketers feel data blind? And I don't know about <laughs> two or three slides before, just to see how many people remember mm. that stat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a handful of people were paying attention. That's um, good, because you could uh, discover something about your audience right there that nobody was listening. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 90% of content is never, never, yeah. never listened to, including this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so like, and, of course, the, the, the challenge is when, when you do a presentation about storytelling yeah. uh, and, and data, yeah. If you don't practice what you pe- preach, you're going to get yeah. up. So um, yeah. I've got a, a framework that I think the best training course I've ever done is from uh, Mandel Communications. And they teach you a framework which has an acronym, uh, uh, SIPAB, S-C-I-P-A-B. Mm-hmm. And the S stands for situation. C is complication. I is implication. And then position, action, benefit. Right. And as I talk about in the presentation, every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. So most stories start with, you know, once upon a time, if you're talking about yeah. a fairy tale. So you're yeah. laying out the situation in, if to put it in the SIPAB formula. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about the situation, you talk about things that people already knew um, yeah. just to sort of get familiarity and comfort. So when I did my presentation, I talked about the digital world that we live in, the explosion of data, how many marketing technologies we have at our disposal. 
Mm-hmm. And and then you talk about uh, the the middle bit of the story is you add a bit of you know complexity. What's the mm-hmm. what are the implications? What are the com- you know what are the complications? The implications, yeah. and you start laying out um, a picture of you know what needs to be overcome, and you add a bit yeah. of urgency. Yeah. And then the end of the story is, you know, what benefits you're going to get this picture of this greater and better world that you're going yeah. to come to. Yeah. So that's basically, I've always used that framework to build every story, every presentation. Yeah. That's how I built it at Ignite. But the point being as well is that you need, you still need your data points. Absolutely. To weave them into your story. So how yeah, yeah. Add in data points to describe the situation, to describe yeah. the complication, the implications, your position. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that absolutely. I mean, I'm, um, you know, part of content marketing is writing case studies, for example, and I see a lot of vendors where they write a great case study and it's got a great story, but they don't support it with any data about yeah. what the implication. And that's a, I think that's a really good example where people tell a great story, but it, but if it's got no data in it, it, it just feels hollow, doesn't it? It doesn't feel real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, on that topic of data and insights, and I've been fortunate enough to have a pre-published copy of your book that's coming out that I've that I've that I've been reading. Um, re- really good. It's like, um, and I, I don't want to ruin it for people who are going to read it, but it's like a it's like a whistle stop tour of almost every marketing discipline. But at the heart of it is data and insights, and you you lead us around where data and insights is important in almost everything we do. Tell us a little bit a little bit about the book and the premise behind that. Yeah, so the book is called Customer Insight Strategies, uh, How mm-hmm. to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's, as you say, insight underpins absolutely everything we do in, in marketing. And some of the things are more obvious where we would think, well, we can't possibly do that without data and insights. Some are not so obvious. So the book really starts by, again, setting the scene of how marketing has changed so fundamentally Mm-hmm. And, and, and how we, you know, how we need to operate in, in this modern digital world. And then it kind of starts at the beginning. How, well, first of all, what are customer insights? How do you create them? You know, what mm-hmm. kind of data sources are you drawing from? And then what, what do we mean by customer insight? And then it kind of tell, starts the story where we say, mm-hmm. well, how do you create a mission statement with purpose? You know, that's really important today. And a value proposition that matters to your customers that's rooted mm-hmm. in insight. How do you use that to uh, create, you know, um, uh, do segmentation, create personas, and then start generating your content marketing? How do you use it for customer acquisition? How do you use customer analytics for customer development and retention? How do you use insights in in, uh, social, social Mm -hmm. selling, social media? Um, And then, you know, what kind of technology we, you know, we have to talk about technology yeah. there. What yeah. kind of technology do we use? And yeah. um, uh, and finally, you know, what are the implications for practitioners? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm enjoying it, and I also like the examples. I think you're quite um, you're very open about your own journey in in Valitor, I think, in that it, you, that's 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 a big case study that you talk about, isn't it? Your own journey and how you've implemented these things in your own role. Absolutely. And I really wanted the book to be, you know, a case, I wanted to have lots of practical examples. So I wanted it to be a book by practitioners for practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I've fortunate enough to have a very uh, large network of marketer, fabulous marketeers around the world. So I interviewed mm-hmm. about 33 people for the book um, mm-hmm. in each different discipline uh, to mm-hmm. get their 
expert opinions and get and get their case studies. Yeah, yeah. And how was the process? I mean, you, you've done something that, I mean, I know lots of people that, that have got a book inside them and one day it will come out, <laughs> especially in marketing. I mean, we, so many people have written great marketing books. What was the process like for you? What was the discipline of writing the book? How long did it take you and stuff like that? Well, first of all, I have to say, when I started doing the doctorate in 2004, the main motivation for me doing the doctorate was um, was, was I wanted to have content for a book. Right. Because way back before then, I'd been on a Tony Robbins course, you know, where mm. you walk over the hot coals in bare feet. And, yes. and it sort of I sort of reset the bar. What mm. do I want to be? I don't just want to be a marketing director. I want to be a marketing guru. And then I started <laughs> wow. thinking, OK, well, what does that look like? How will it feel? How will I know when I've become a marketing guru? And I thought, well, uh, you know, I should publish a book. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, I need content. Yes. Where am I going to get content for? And I kind of put it to one side. And and then um, uh, I was having dinner with uh, Moira Clark, who's a professor of marketing at, at Cranfield at the time. Mm-hmm. And she said, to me, you should do a doctorate in marketing. Yeah. And of course, instantly, all the objections start coming into your head. It's <laughs> like, well, I'm not clever enough. I'm kind of yeah. that got the time yeah and then this other voice is going that'll give you content for the book <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah so somehow how i found a way and i i always planned it planned to to write the book when i finished mm-hmm. the doctorate but mm-hmm. uh, you know life has a habit of getting you know having other plans so when i yeah. finished the doctorate um i was nine months pregnant and <laughs> been offered this fabulous job at cisco so yeah. The book went completely out of the window at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I came back to it. I, I was speaking at a, a marketing conference, and there was um, a, a scout from Cogan Page who'd yeah. uh, been sent along to look for, for new authors. And they yeah. listened to my marketing presentation and came up to me afterwards and said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, yeah. I think you should say that. <laughs> um, and they said, well, do you have any ideas about what the book will be about? And I went, yep. Yeah, Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically you, you have yeah. to then write a very detailed proposal yeah. of what's going to be in the book. And for me, that was pretty easy because I, you know, that, that book idea had been brewing for so many yeah. years, yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 years after I originally intended to do it. But I'd like to mm. think it's a much better book now. I was going to say that. Well, I was going to say two things. One is, is um, I had that experience earlier in my career where somebody came up to me and I didn't have what you had right there, which was the answer to the question, have you got, you know, what's your book going to be about? And I'm like, oh, and I, I probably ran away. Um, and then, um, uh, but also I do think so, because I, I thought it was interesting you saying that um, you were originally going to write the book before your Cisco experience. And yet the Cisco experience and certainly the Alita experience makes the book much richer, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. yeah, the experience that you had there is re- really comes through. Yeah, and I think we all have those self-limiting beliefs, you know, well, you know, who's, I don't know everything about customer insight, how can I write a book on it? Yeah. And then I think, well, I probably know more than most because yeah. that was, you know, it, it, yeah. is, it is a passion of mine and I'm going to complement my own experiences with interviewing people who I consider yeah. to be the you know best in what they're doing yeah. to, to really sort of bring it up to date and it's not it's not a bible it's not a you know it's not a definitive use I mean I could have yeah. written a book on each chapter each yeah you know, each chapter yeah. in the book which is a, a sort of yeah. succinct topic yeah but it gives ideas hopefully and I've got a section um at the end of each chapter there's the key takeaways but mm-hmm. there's also a section called feed your brain yeah. And that gives people ideas about what they might do differently. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really good, and I um and you're absolutely right. I mean, before I pressed record, I was saying that about the book in that in a lot of books just focus on those individual silos of of particular marketing practices. But I, I I like the fact that you've kind of touched on all of them, but you've you've talked about data and insights along the way. What just um just to rewind back a bit, what um so you decided to do the doctorate in order to get the content for the book. How was the doc? How was that process of trying to juggle all that was going on in your life? and doing a doctorate was was that a long hard process yes most people underestimate just how much it takes to do a doctorate which is why most people don't finish them mm-hmm. and and i was thrown a curveball when I, so i started it in october 2004 mm-hmm. and at the time i was sponsored to do that by the company i was working for at the time extra prize Mm-hmm. And I went down to working four days a week and yeah. and, uh, and doing the, the doctorate. Of course, I underestimated how hard it was to do a job that I had done in five days a week and mm-hmm. four days a week and then literally every weekend. And, and, that, and that's a lot for a four-year journey. Mm. Um, and then six months into that journey, uh, Extra Prize was acquired by another company and they mm-hmm. took all of the staff apart from the managing director, the finance director, and myself, which was the marketing director. Mm-hmm. And that, it, could have, it could have felt like the end of the world at that point because I'd lost mm-hmm. my job, I'd lost my sponsorship for the doctorate, mm-hmm. and I could have just abandoned and gone and got another full-time job. And in actual fact, yeah. I had a really lovely job offer on the table. And But I thought, well, maybe this is the chance to just do it differently. And I mm-hmm. thought, I, I'm going to really focus on the doctorate. Mm-hmm. I will try and do it in three years instead of four mm-hmm. and I will use my network to find some consultancy work to pay the mm-hmm. bills mm-hmm. and that's what I did and I really enjoyed the journey uh, nice. it, wasn't, it wasn't a chore because I, I made time for it yeah 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 well congratulations I mean you've done two amazing things got a doctorate and written a book that's that's amazing uh, so 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 congratulations on that um so uh, when is the book published it's coming out on the 3rd of November. It should have been the 3rd of August. So you should have had the real thing by now. But of course, COVID yes. uh, delayed everything. So the team were in furlough. But now it's all back on again. I'm finalising the proofread tomorrow. And uh, yeah, 3rd of, 3rd of November. Right, yeah. when it's You, you can right. already pre-order it on uh, on Amazon or on the Kogan oh. page website. Excellent. Well, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And also I'll include a link to, I presume your um, presentation from B2B Ignite is somewhere out there on the interwebs and I can include a link to it that. Is, yes. Excellent. Um, and then finally, uh, as I ask everybody, and you're very familiar with this because um, we've we've gone backstage before, as it were, but only... Uh, in the written form, um, we have uh, our Rockstar CMO swimming pool where we throw all the bullshit and snake oil and all the things we don't like about this wonderful industry that we love. Um, when you, uh, when we spoke, I think it's about a year and a half, two years ago, you threw interrupt, interruption marketing into the Rockstar swimming pool, which was fantastic. I mean, it really had to be done. Do you stick by that or do you have a new candidate for the pool? I'm going to stick by that, but I'm going to build on it. Splendid. Um, that's what we like to hear. Do you know what? I thought of that recently. I've just come back from a short break in Devon and mm-hmm. I was listening to the radio. And by the time I'd heard the same advert 20 times, mm-hmm. um, it made me think of the of interruption. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely yeah. did not want my music interrupted by that horrible ad. I'm not even going to say yeah. which ad it was for because that will yeah. give, give it more airtime. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
But uh, yes, I still hate interruption marketing, but I'm going to build on that because, of course, you know, data and insights is my thing. So Mm -hmm. I use the very famous quote in the book from John Wanamaker, who said way back when um, I waste 50 percent of my advertising budget. I just don't know which which half. half. So that's I'm going to throw spray and pray marketing. Uh, nice. He didn't call it spray and pray marketing way yeah. back then, but that's what he was talking about. Yeah. There's absolutely no use, no excuse for spray and pray marketing in today's right. age. Everything has to be targeted, and yeah. everything has to be done within with insights and with yeah. the end end audience in mind. Yeah, well, you've given the perfect blueprint both with your presentation and with your upcoming book, so that's fantastic. Now, I'm going to include some links to those things uh, in the show notes, but if people are looking out for you, Chris, where can they and they spin the dial on the interwebs? Where are they going to find you? They're going to find me pretty easily uh, mm-hmm. on uh, on the interweb. Uh, so you can find me <laughs> on, on LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. Doctor. Christine brackets Chris Bailey. That's where you'll mm-hmm. find me. You'll find me on Twitter at Christine Bailey. I was on Twitter at a uh, right when it started, so hence I've got the handle Christine Bailey. Nicely um, done. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, where else will you find me? Yeah, those are the main ones. Facebook yeah. I tend to use uh, for, for personal use. Yeah, and people that are interested in Valator, obviously that's valator.com. Yes, you can find Valator on or valator.com. You can find Valator on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Splendid. Yeah. Splendid. Well, I think we'll have to have you back when the book gets published and we can dip into the pages properly um, without me giving away the plot. (laughs) No spoilers. Very nice to speak to you, Christine. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you, Christine. And of course, I'll include all the links we discussed, all of Christine's links, the presentation you gave at the B2B Virtual Ignite event, and of course, her book that is coming out in November that is available now for pre-order. Right. I realize that by the time the cogs of the podcasting machine gets this to you, it's probably not Friday. But for me, it most certainly is. And what better way to kick off the weekend than a cocktail and one marketing thought from my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. So let's make our way to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. You know, I think this week is a fun one. This is one of those cocktails that, quite frankly, catches people's eye as you start walking around with it. So we call this a blueberry margarita. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like most of my cocktails, it has tequila in it, of course. Um, But what we're talking about here is muddled blueberries and a lot of them. And here's the fun thing about blueberries. When you muddle blueberries, they don't actually turn blue. They actually turn a very, very bright red purple. Um, wow. And if you if you muddle them and then put them into this drink with a, with a little bit, just a little bit of orange juice to sweeten it up just a touch, um, and then, of course, top it off with a healthy dose of tequila, you've got yourself a summer drink that will 
literally light your way home if you need to. <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic. Right, let's have a look at what we've got here. So um, I have now. Um, now we've. I think on a number of occasions we've discussed the fact that this gin that I have here, this Hendrix, is a good enough substitute, right? I think we've. I yeah. I, I think we You may not agree. <laughs> Let's pour some of that in there. And then you said muddled blueberries. That's right. You take a bunch of blueberries and muddle them up together. Like, you know, oh, literally, if you have like the mortar and pestle muddler, yep. which is always nice, see. but otherwise you can just take a spoon and mush them up in a glass. All right. What I have got is I've got a pre-prepared muddled bottle of tonic. Uh, it's a little muddled. I, yeah, the bubbles might be a good substitute there, I think. Right. You might get away okay. with that. All right, okay, let me try this. I, I don't think it's got the same health. Oh, hang on a minute, I forgot the ice. Is there ice? Uh, there is ice in this for sure, okay. absolutely. Okay, nice. Mm. Oh, that's nice. That is very nice. The color didn't come quite strong on, on my version as, uh, as yours for some reason. So I might have to revisit that and <laughs> try that again. White? It did yours uh, clear, yes, I'm assuming? Yes, yes. I didn't get any of that color you described. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it might be the tonic that you're using. Uh, okay, okay. I shall look at that for future yeah. shows. Well, thank you very much. That's delicious. And um, I I mean, as we've discussed, I could, I could drink these every week. And I think that uh, I would like to know where it is this week we're going to be drinking that. I think this week I'm going to take you to a pl part of the world that I grew up in. Um, and it's, you know, one of the really last bastions of uh, what I remember Texas being like. Ooh. And there is a lake there, um, Lake Travis, um, which in back when I was growing up as a kid, and I know they still do this, um, mm -hmm. which is there was a thing we used to do out on the lake where uh, we used to call it a redneck yacht club. Um, <laughs> I love and, it already. <laughs> yeah, and which is basically what you do is you get a boat and you mm -hmm. go out and you find a beautiful cove of a lake somewhere. And Lake Travis is quite a large lake. And mm -hmm. you basically tie up sometimes 10, 15 boats together um, put on some music, put on a barbecue and basically have a, a little party nice. out in the middle of the lake. And you do that in the late summer when, you know, it's just, you know, you do it in the evening, obviously, because it's just so hot during the day. Mm -hmm. You swim and you have a barbecue and you party and you have music going and you drink a few of these and it's, wow. it's a really nice time. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And uh, yes, and, and it's such a transformation from where, where I find myself anyway, in, um, right now and uh, socially distancing. Uh, well, actually, the sun has come out in the UK today, but we'd, ha we'd had some. So I am completely transported to this place. Um, so I guess the party has died down somewhat. and We're, we're just chilling out <laughs> with a couple of these cocktails. What, what are we chatting about? You know, the thing that's been on my mind lately, and I think it would be fun to chat about, especially as we get good and buzzed on these bright lights, um, <laughs> is brand um, and brand differentiation these days, you know, and it's something I know is, is hot and heavy on people's minds, especially as we come out of this, you know, the yeah. weirdness that is 2020 um, and thinking about differentiating our brand. And one of the things that I find is that 
we often write go to the only, right? And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is we are the only fill in the blank, right? We are the only yeah. fill in the blank that fill in the blank, right? Yeah. And we try to sort of rely on the only. And the interesting thing is, is that the more meaningful and actual that your only is, well, the quicker it can be copied. You know, we're the only, right. I, you know, we're the only phone that has, you know, 65 million colors. Well, that'll be copied next week, right? We are yeah. the only, you know, enterprise software system that has X, Y, Z. And yeah, yeah. that'll be copied next week. But what yeah. can't be copied is some of the more, what would appear to be some of the more ephemeral things um, you know, your story, your idea yes. you stand for, the ideas you craft. And those stories people. you tell are truly the thing that can't be copied. And so trying yeah. to figure out differentiation from that perspective is a really interesting exercise. Yeah, yeah. I think and um you touched on um the industry where I tend to work most of my most of my career. And I think we sometimes swap out the only for leading. And the, and the other thing that I always have a problem with when I'm talking to a vendor about when they say they're the only something is they're often the worst people to know to have competitive intelligence, right? Is you, people, people get carried away that they believe they're the only thing and that this is their differentiation and this is what's... But the consumer doesn't see that in any way at all. It's absolutely the... the, the <laughs> I mean, you yeah. couldn't have said it any better, right? I mean, that's... You know, we see that so often where... Yeah what we think are important differentiators the customer just doesn't even care about. Right. I mean, the classic one of course is, is customer service, right? Yeah. You know, where, where we're differentiating on something that the customer can absolutely have zero perspective on until they become a customer. Right. Yeah. So it's an interesting challenge to figure out where, where are you actually going to differentiate? Yeah. Yeah. And also doesn't it, it smacks of trust too, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you're going to make these bold statements, and they can't be upheld, especially as you say, the, comp- the competition move very quickly to to make you look a bit daft. Um, it and that's that. I mean, you know, that's one of my hobby horses. Is is it undermines your trust, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. You know, so you've yeah. got to live up to those ideas. And yeah, you know, yeah. there's there's all kinds of differentiation in product features and product benefits and you know brand promises and those kinds of things, but. When you yeah. start looking at standing up for ideas, for purpose, for points of view, for stories that you're going to tell, well, then you have to really, you know, make sure that you live those stories too. So, yeah. you know, because, it, you know, anything that really smacks of distrust these days is, you know, I, think I saw some, you know, some statistic, it was, it, it was not that long ago, 47% of consumers now use the brand to, as a trust mechanism and the purpose and the ideas that that brand stands for. And uh-huh. if, and this is the, the key, if the brand breaks those promises, um, another half of those will go away, you know, will yeah. sort of move away from the brand and 17% yeah. of those will never come back. Right, right. And this isn't that brand purpose bullshit, is it? This is this is brand storytelling. No, that's exactly <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, who do you think are good examples? Who's doing this really well in your experience? Oh, you know, I think probably, you know, the, the example that comes leaping to mind, I'm not sure they're mm-hmm. the best or worst at it, but the one that comes leaping yeah. to mind right now is uh, REI. 
the mm-hmm. sporting goods equipment, uh, you know, manufacturer, retailer, um, mm-hmm. things that they do right now from the way that they've created their core brand story mm-hmm. um, and all the content that they create around that from their co-op journal to their, you know, focus on the outdoors and natural parks and everything they're doing and saying um, yeah. just match perfectly with what, right. the, you know, with what their audience expects. Right, right. And also with... Um, making them seem to be one of their audience right that that creating that relevance with them and that that relatability <clears throat> that's exactly right you know yeah, because they, yeah. you know by building their you know what i might call an audience some yeah. might call a community some might yeah. call a tribe some might call a you know just a set of fanatics yeah. whatever yeah. your word is you know loyalty evangelistic you know yeah the the, the whatever that um uh, whatever that word is for you, that's, mm-hmm. that's our goal, right? That's our yeah. goal as marketers is to create those people who will not only just act, you know, sort of begrudgingly buy what we have, but, <laughs> yeah. but we'll also, but we'll also be happy about it and share their experience, right? They're, they're yeah. positive because, because they want to be associated with that. Yeah, no, that's a really, that's a really good thought. And I, I it, and I think we touched on this a couple of weeks ago about how brand will become more important when it comes to um, search with voice and stuff like that, I think that you know, you're, you, 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 we're going to need people to search for us rather than just search for the, the generic term. Oh, it's a great, it's a great point. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. yeah, we want them searching for us, us, not the, you know, I yeah, mean, you know, we, you and I, you and I did indeed have a discussion about this, but yeah, uh, not just, yeah, yeah. not just the category of what we belong to, but actually. Yeah for us that's true brand differentiation yeah yeah no that's great that's great and i and i i completely agree and i think that's that's fantastic and um, and what a lovely thought and what a lovely location to be having this thought i it would be yeah, wonderful to be there club. i mean come on let's do it <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, as soon as um there are planes and people are allowed to spend time with each other and stuff and um, what's um, <laughs> what and um, oh i forgot about that part yeah <laughs> and i'm sure that um uh, I'm uh, and sorry. And where can people find uh, more of these thoughts of yours, Robert? Oh, that's wonderful for you to ask about that. Um, the, the best place to find me um, is uh, the our website, which is www.contentadvisory.net. Is where we're talking about all things uh, related to um, content and content mm-hmm. marketing and brand and digital and all those things. Ah, oh, splendid. All right. Well, thank you very much, Robert, and um, I'll see you next week. Ah, yes, you will. Splendid. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. One thing I should have mentioned in our chat is the Content Tech Summit that he's hosting next week with the Content Marketing Institute. Go check that out at contenttechsummit.com. I know it's a bit short notice as it starts on Monday, but as it's a virtual event, maybe you can tag along last minute or something. I would include links to all of Robert's good stuff in the show notes and sing along with me. You can find those at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. All right, then that's it. The end of episode 22 of the Rockstar CMO effing marketing podcast. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Thanks again to our Rockstar CMO doctor, the wonderful Christine Bailey to Robert Rose and to our Rockstar CMO contributing community that make our publication what it is. But most of all, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. 
I really appreciate their time, so show them some love. If you like the show, would like to help answer the question of whether the world needs another effing marketing podcast, drop us some feedback or a review, subscribe, share, or, well, just listen. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I'm talking to Phil Lewis, founder and principal at Corporate Punk. I'll be honest, through the magic of podcasting, I've already recorded that interview this week. It's a really fascinating discussion that I hope you'll like, as I'm going to split it over two episodes, so you're going to have him for the next couple of weeks. The topic we explore is why CMOs don't make it to CEO, and it's really interesting. You get a sense of Phil and his work from the Corporate Punk website. It's very different, worth a look. Anyway, until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarecmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.